It's Maria. It's Maria Marino. It's very exciting. This is the type of special thing that happened when you do a live post-game podcast. There are stars everywhere. I'm Howard McDowell, editor-founder of The Next. Uh, this is Jackie Powell, our social media maven, who also writes for Bleacher Report. Mitchell Northam, who has written for me for, what is it, five years now, Mitch? Were you, were, were you an original? 2018. 2018. Colin's first Atlanta Dream. That's right. You were our, our Atlanta Dream beat reporter back when we were at High Post Hoops. And we are here at beautiful Target Center, the home of so many important moments in women's basketball history. And another one tonight, as we saw South Carolina defeat Louisville by a score of 72-59. We saw UConn defeat Stanford by a score of 63-58. It was just... A wonderful night of basketball, you know, for absolutely important programs who have been central to the Final Four. And to me, the fact that we're getting that UConn-South Carolina final at long last, and I tweeted about this, uh, is the biggest thing to me. But before we get into some of the particulars, I'm going to read, uh, not just read, but tell you about BetOnline.net, which is your number one source for all your betting needs and info. Find all your latest sports developments, including this week's Masters, which I guess is the thing that happens after the Women's National Championship, <laughs> odds, podcasts, and reviews for all the different leagues this season. I do appreciate, you know, you know, I'm not somebody who bets on the games. I cover the games, but I'm somebody who thinks there must be betting in women's sports. I think that the gap between those two things helps to keep the coverage uh not as robust and helps to limit the interest. And so I respect the fact that betonline.net offers the opportunity to do that. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online, where the game starts. So I think we're going to be joined by some special guests. I know Jackie's probably wrangling some people. Um, but we are here right now recording and at the very least this is something that the three of us can talk about, is having been here directly. Jackie Powell, I just, if you could take me through what the biggest surprise was for you tonight out of everything we saw. Ooh. Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind was how Stanford played. Um, I thought that before tonight they were playing like the best team in the tournament. Um, I thought the way they battled back from pressure and adversity against Texas was impressive. And their offense was pretty gorgeous looking. Yeah. And it was quite a 180 tonight. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, to beat Texas, Texas was playing as well as anybody in the country. And to, and by the way, we are joined by M. Adler, of course. Uh, as well. Em, I can't hear you. I can oh, sorry. You. I'm saying in motion aggressively, horns down. Horns down. That is very true. And, you, you know, so to be... Also, hi, Mitchell, who's waving to me. And to have beaten a Maryland team that was playing as well as virtually anyone in the country, that was very surprising to me as well. Um, and so, and before I get to your biggest... Uh, takeaways from tonight. Uh, Mitch, I want to get to you as well, and I want to welcome, of course, Alex Simon, who is joining us uh, as well. But first, Mitch, tell me, if you could, 
what your biggest surprise of tonight was. Yeah, um, I think there was two. Um, just to quickly piggyback off of what Jackie said, um, I was really surprised at how poorly Sanders shot from three-point range. I think ESPN said during the broadcast that it's the lowest shooting percentage from three since 2019. Remarkable. Um, that's a few seasons. Um, so just that Stanford shot that poorly, it was very shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing was, um, and I think, um, you know, M and I and uh, Alex talked about this on our Twitter spaces earlier today, um, sort of, you know, Louisville's game plan um, kind of asked Leah Lawson at times to rise to the occasion and be a dominant force. Um, and there wasn't a ton this season that, that she did that. Obviously, she got her stats. And there, there were a few times where she really said, get on my back, I will take you there. Well, and when Louisville made its run in the second quarter, in the third quarter, Boston, um, even through double and triple teams at times, did that. So he just, you know, became the player that we all think she is, but was really in a dominant fashion. And, you know, just dared Louisville to stop her, and they could not do that. 23 and 18, you know, she was the subject of my piece, which you can read over at thenexthoops.com right now. Just the fact that there is, and, and this is my favorite thing about her game, there is a patience to it. You know, when you think about the players who do the most damage, typically it's quick reactions. It's, you know, being able to get ahead of whatever the defense is doing. And Aaliyah Boston doesn't do it that way. She picks her spot she decides where she's going to go and then she goes there and there really isn't anything that anyone seems to be able to do about it which i think is fascinating and uh, a difference from uh, even most bids you know who as they develop in college they learn how to pass quickly out of double teams that's not the way she does it can i quickly say one thing before Please. we get to em and alex yes I mean, they're gonna have wonderful things to say i promise you that I think pressure does. What, what was huge tonight for South Carolina um, was the fact that they hit six of 17 threes. Mm-hmm. So six threes, that's 18 points. And South Carolina beat Louisville by what? Mm-hmm. Around by 13. 13. Yeah. Around 4.3 threes. So to me, that should not go... Uh, that, that is not understated. Well, I also, it's a great point, and it was particularly in the third quarter where they were able to extend out to a 15-point lead. Uh, they were able to do it on the backs of perimeter shooting. That's the thing about South Carolina. They ended up shooting, I think, what, 48.6% or was it? Something along those lines. And the 47.4. And this is a South Carolina team where the the line for victory is essentially 40%, which is ridiculous. Yes. But that's how good they are uh, and, and defensively, defensively and, and on the boards. You know, the best defensive rebound rate for her hoop stats in the country. So let's turn things over to M. Adler, who I know has a lot uh, <laughs> to say uh, about UConn specifically. Um, so, Em, if you could just take me through what it is that has been most impressive to you about the Connecticut Huskies five games in. Yeah, I think that they've done a lot that I've been surprised by mm-hmm. in terms of the consistency of performances that I thought were a little unsustainable. Um, specifically, just how Kristen Williams has been able to be sort of that second side scorer, even when she's been really inefficient. Mm-hmm. 
and how Aaliyah Edwards has been able to make herself of value even when you know the scoring really isn't there. Yeah. Nelson Adada, I think, has been able to score really efficiently, although, you know, it's Nelson Adada, so it's not on um, huge efficiency. But Tara shouted her out, too, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's also been some things that I would say really haven't surprised me, but have come sort of from a conflict of factors. And of course, to make the championship game, you have to win, what, five or six straight five um, games, yeah. single elimination games. So you have to have a lot of things go right on necessarily in your power. The past few games, they've hit teams that haven't been prepared in the specific ways that they've needed to be to beat UConn. And tonight was kind of a master class in having a confluence of factors. You had a couple of calls late that were either borderline or probably shouldn't have been called for um, Stanford. Overall, it was a very well-efficient game. It's supposed to really affect the whole thing. It's just the timing of them that makes them feel more consequential. I agree. You got Stanford, and over the next week, we did a preview piece where we all put in what we thought the keys were, the X factors were, the concerns were for each team. And I was the only one who specifically said for Stanford, the concern was shooting slumps. Because it's a team that while as a team they shoot really well, or they tend to, it's very individual, and some individuals are extremely streaky. Yeah. Against Texas, they shot 3 for 17 for 3, and they shot 4 for 23. Yeah. And the problem was, and this is this really, I think, the difference between the win and loss here for both teams, is that UConn kept adjusting when they needed to, and they kept moving players in and out. Stanford played jump, but they didn't play through her. Hmm. They didn't play Van Gittbeek, whose entire job is essentially to come in off the bench as like a 12th woman when everyone else can't shoot and they're just trained 10 threes. They they didn't touch her. Hmm. I I think it's interesting that Stanford didn't make the adjustments that you're talking about, Mm -hmm. specifically because... It's an experienced team. It's a team that has a pathway to a championship. We know that because largely the same team did this uh, a year ago, which is why they were the ones who were holding the trophy at the end of it. And I, I just I'd like to talk, turn to Alex Simon about this because, uh, you know, Alex. Only ask questions to people who have, like, a role. Yeah, Howard, hi. Oh, yes, hi. Uh, if for whatever reason it just had a momentary skip there. Oh, uh, oh. Okay, gotcha. Well, so what I what I wanted to ask you about was, you know, somebody who has covered Tara, and this is not an inexperienced coach. You know, that was kind of the joke that I made on Slack. This is somebody who's been to so many Final Fours and to championships, you know, to a large extent. It, this is somebody who obviously understands her team's strengths and weaknesses. Do you have a theory for, you know, what took place here, essentially? Yeah, Tara rode with who got her here. And look, the whole twins are absolutely the people who were the key for them for many a time throughout the entire season. And I can kind of understand even when they're playing poorly, even when all season long, if players were playing poorly, they would take them right back out of the game. You're not going to do that in the final four with players who are seniors that otherwise are playing their last game tonight or their last game Sunday, whether you won or lost Sunday. Mm -hmm. And I think especially, you know, Lexi Holt was playing with, what, two bloody nostrils, not just one. Yeah. Yep. So when you look at that, you know, 
they played Haley Jones 40 minutes, Lacey Holt 40 minutes, and Lexi Holt 37 only because her nose started bleeding. Right. I think Stanford and Tara just said, look, these are the players who got us here. I, she's been shrinking her rotation at points. Yeah. There were some adjustments that seemed likely, like Hannah Jump coming into the game if UConn came out with a zone. But it's clear Tara chose to robe with who got her here, even though they've had an overall poor game. It's what uh, Wes Moore likes to say. you got to dance with the ones that brung you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you see a lot of coaches do that late. There is a point, actually. I, I just want to circle back to M for a minute. Before we get to Matthew Walters, done a great job covering Stanford for us uh, in the Final Four. Um, and, and, Matthew, I'm really glad you're here. Um, but M, just re- real quickly, the, the point you wanted to make also about uh, the UConn bitch, because there's something I noticed as well, which is that at halftime, both Olivia Nelson Adota and Aaliyah Edwards had two fouls. So you just felt like the natural consequence to go do what was next, you know? Yeah. Basically, if we're talking about dancing with the ones, with the ones who brought you, there are, of all the players who brought Stanford, the, the number two or number one player who brought them, you know, depending on what stretch of the season we're looking at, is Cameron Brink, the center, who yeah. is really at this point, I think, inarguably a top five player in the country. Huh. Um, Even and, at 21 minutes a game, and huh? And they have, they have probably, I'd say, by far the best backup center in the country in Fran Believing. Yeah. And together, they were effective tonight. They were very effective tonight. Mm-hmm. UConn's bigs combined for, quote-unquote, only 40 minutes, or sorry, only 49 minutes because they combined for seven fouls. And a lot of those came quickly. Within a couple minutes of the second half, they had already combined for five fouls. And Stanford did not hunt them. There were a couple times when, they, right after Ano's third foul, they, that they tried to look to Brink as soon as they got down the court, but they didn't do what NC State, for example, is that yeah. on that, yeah. where they will spend 20 minutes just going around the horn until they can make a make an entry pass. Yes, they 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 went into guard play, and that's one of the things that UConn did really well. Was one of the ways that, that like once Stanford basically showed that they were not going to hunt and try to make more fouls mm-hmm. with players that were really kind of unguardable tonight. Yeah. Once they did that, you one of the UConn was kind of able to force Haley Jones to play like a guard. Mm. And that really took them out of their comfort zone. Yeah. It was really an, an interest please go ahead though. Um, can I ask you a question about what you saw from the broadcast? So from our point of view, there were a couple of post ups which I think came later after that period where we were like, why isn't Brink on the floor? Brink got the ball inside, and she sort of slipped. Mm. What happened there, and was it because Olivia Nelson Adota was in place? What did you see? For the most part, whenever you're seeing a, pe- a player slip, there's a problem with their footwork, either because they are unbalanced or because – well, sorry, they are unbalanced. Either that's because they somehow set up their feet wrong or because the court is just slippery. She just kind of slid. So my my question to you, Matthew, and and I want to bring you in on this. You wrote about uh, it was a terrific piece about Lexi and Lacey Hull, who have been so central to what Stanford has done here. Tara talked post game about the fact that you know their legacy will not be defined by what happened here tonight. But are you surprised that they didn't do more to? impact this game you know they were combined three for 16 from the field you know i think it's hard in this situation because 
I think what UConn did is they took the Texas blueprint of how to guard Stanford and just did as good a job as they could, which they did an amazing job of yeah. of sticking to. Let's this is how we're going to guard Stanford, and it worked because those two kids shoot forty percent from three, and they really made all of their looks very difficult. And Lexi Hole is a much better at her than her sister at getting to the basket and finding other ways to score. But it just looked like every time on offense, if the shot was somewhat open from the outside. Stanford settled, which I haven't seen them do all season, except for when I went back and looked at it, that first Texas game, three for 27 from three. And if you look at the Texas game in the Elite Eight, they were, I think it was three of 18 or three of 17. They hit the same number of threes, but they knew, like, we need to attack in other ways. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why for some reason tonight. And to me, I think the stat that sort of stands out, again, like you said, they didn't shoot well, but I I think going back to the points that Em and Alex made, they were on the floor because they play such good defense. And I think the defense is what keeps them on the floor. But I don't know why offensively, for a team that has so many weapons, it just looked like all night they never got in any sort of offensive rhythm and they just weren't able to get into their flow. But it didn't even look like they were running their actions in the normal, efficient Stanford way. Even when, like, they were trying to do it against Texas, they ran them the normal way. It just seemed like they weren't doing the things that they normally do that had gotten them to this point. And at some point, it just felt like at some point they would wake up, and they just did a little too late. Yeah, and Charo talked about that, about getting into their offense and just that she wasn't seeing that as usual. I want to get to the other game, but before I do, I want to tell you guys (laughs) about Built Bar. Uh, This is the time of year where a lot of people have given up on their New Year's resolutions, but not this year. You don't have to because have you tried the Puffs? If you haven't, you're missing out on one of the Built Bar's best-tasting bars. Uh, Puffs are protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy. They contain 130 calories, 4 grams net carbs, and about 17 grams of protein, uh, which allows you to have your candy fix, whether it's mint brownie, coconut, or coconut almond, or even white chocolate cookies and cream without having to give up on those New Year's resolutions. So go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15. Get 15% off your order. That's code L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5 for 15% off at Built.com. And again, tell them Grandma Myrna sent you. Now, M. M. Adler wants to make a point about the UConn offense. I, I think no, no, Em, I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you speak about this. I, I, I know, you know, you've been an early bandwagoner for all of UConn's success. So I'm glad to give you, obviously, this further opportunity to expand on, um, you know, what I think we both knew was inevitable. Yeah, no, it just. I'm, I'm sorry, but my, my deep visceral hatred just comes from having spent so much time around Duke legend and wonderful human being, former head coach Joanne P. McCallie who, you know, obviously holds a very dear place in her for UConn, which um, we once had got in legal trouble at, at the Duke Chronicle, let's say about five or six years ago, for putting her on the record comments, on the record. It was a little bit hot water. That is a fun what story. What I will say is, time for sure. that was great. Time. Those the times. Anyway, going off of Matthew's point about you know, Stanford not getting to his actions, mm-hmm. if you want to, to me, the most impressive thing about what UConn did tonight, and Gino is obviously almost always just a wonderful game planner. Mm-hmm. If you want to think about, really, I think the biggest thing for UConn in this game, think about 
what kind of actions and sets you usually think of Haley Jones as scoring out of. Mm -hmm. And now think about what happened on the court today whenever Irvina Westbrook was on Haley Jones. Mm -hmm. Think about how many times you saw Haley Jones getting the ball on the block or getting on the high post and working down low from there. Sean made her not do that. Which that was is, a game. Which is striking just because Haley Jones has been able to impose her will on opponents essentially since she got here, you know, and now to Alex Simon, who covered Haley Jones all the way back in high school for us back in the high post uh, days. I, I understand you've got a hot take that relates to this. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. So it's in particular to kind of go off of that. I think this on both ends of the floor is a masterclass in how to defend without needing to force turnovers to disrupt the other team's offensive rhythm. UConn did an excellent job of that, but also the best defender, and here's the hot take, I think the best player on the floor tonight was Cameron Brink on both ends of the floor. Cameron's defense, and especially her health defense, to be able to guard Paige Beckers one-on-one, the hot take that I can drop to you here, Cameron Brink is by far, to me at this point, the best player in the class of 2024 going into the WNBA, but she's not the best player in college basketball because that is still Aaliyah Boston. So that that is fair, and Aaliyah Boston, of course, class of 2023. Uh, I know, you know, Matthew Walter has said that as well, um, and uh, you know, clearly, it's it's why Cameron Brink had you know a dominant performance tonight, and that's why Stanford is uh, uh, going to the championship. Game. No, you know what? I'm looking, <laughs> and it appears that actually UConn won tonight. Um, that they beat Stanford, uh, in fact. Um, that I think we had that uh, backwards. But, uh, you know, they're going to be facing, uh, speaking of segues, South Carolina. And so as we move uh, the conversation to the other game, the South Carolina versus Louisville game, um, the place I want to start actually with Louisville is specifically uh, Hallie Van Lith and where she is two years in. Mitch, can, can you talk to me about just how good you think Haley Van Lith is? The biggest thing I was looking for out of this game was this is HBL against a WNBA size front line. So what's that going to look like? And I thought she absolutely held her own. I know she scored nine points, but she was finding ways to get to the basket. It was just remarkably challenging. Where do you think the Haley Van Lith project is to essentially halfway in? Um, I think that the one thing that Haley Van never lacks is confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, Jeff Wallace talked about this in the post game where in the first quarter she got her shot blocked twice and she kept going at the rim still, kept fighting, kept shooting, kept taking shots. Um, yeah. So that never wavered. And I think it's a positive that, you know, she was fighting for rebounds. She got nine rebounds, two of them offensive. Nah. Um, and Haley Van Lith is not six foot tall. She um, is five foot seven. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So Haley Van Lith, I think, is just going to keep getting better. You know, Jeff Wall said in the post-game press conference today that he expects Haley Van Lith to be an All-American next year, a mm-hmm. first-team All-American selection. Um, I'm not sure she even made the honorable mention list this year. Hmm. However, I don't think that's crazy um, because I think that Haley is the type of player um, who is going to keep getting better. Um, clearly, she has the confidence. She has the shooting ability. I think the maybe the concern is as far as her pro prospects go, if we're talking you know, a year or so, two from now, um, is that she has to figure out how to attack size. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether that's you know making sure her three-point game gets better and making sure her 
pool of game is better or just being more creative around the rim. Um, you know, I, I think those are things that, that she will work on it and probably get better at. That's where I think that's where you round her at. If she's a 45% three-point shooter instead of a 36% three-point shooter. Uh, but there's another pro prospect who's actually coming up on uh, the WNBA draft significantly sooner than that. It's Emily Anschler. Uh, and Jackie Powell's done some great work uh, about Emily Anschler, somebody uh, I've enjoyed dating back to her time as Miss New York State Basketball. Jackie, can you take me through I, – not you, I, Emily Anschler. I don't believe <laughs> that you were ever Miss New York State Basketball, though I can't say that for sure. Uh, but I would like to know, you know, just how you view – her WNBA future is something that Jeff Wallace described as very bright. So, wow. Um, I think what really has impressed me about Emily Engsler since, since I began looking at the WNBA draft prospects for the 2022 draft is just how versatile she is. And what I know about WNBA talent evaluators mm-hmm. is they value versatility I mean, close to the top of their list. Um, That's something that really stands out to them. And so when you have Emily Engsler, who can play, I'd say, between two and three positions. I mean, Emmy can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, And she can also defend, I want to say, at least four. Is that? I I think that's reasonable. I think you could see her defending certainly uh, three through five. That's, At the very least. Exactly. That yeah. is something. Some fives. Let's right. Say. Okay. That is something that stands out to WNBA talent evaluators. Mm-hmm. What also stands out to WNBA talent evaluators is the ability to stuff the stat sheet. Um, yeah. You know, you see that in a player like Jackie Young. I mean, there are these wings that are, it's become sort of this prototype WNBA player. Um, someone who can play multiple positions, someone who contributes in so many different ways. And that's Emily Engsler in a nutshell. I mean, mm-hmm. she's she's 6'1", but she's super long. I mean, when I think about players that have, I guess, this unique, almost superhuman length, I, I think also about Rebecca Allen. Yeah. You know, she's a player who's 6'2", but she looks so much taller because of the spider, you know, long arms that she has. So, and also, Emily Engsler puts defense first. Mm-hmm. And that is also something that WNBA talent evaluators value. Yeah, that, she tied a, like, 25-year-old record today for most steals in the tournament. Um, that's amazing. I believe the previous, or she tied, um, oh, her name escapes me, played her old dominion. Hmm. I mean, it, it, she, not just the steals that she made, but there's a number of them, but the way she did, there was a steal she had in the second quarter where she essentially reached with one hand and just was able to force the ball out. It wasn't, the ball wasn't even loose and she did it with the top of her hand, but pushed it ahead. So she was able to uh, effectively turn it into a self fast break. It was just, just a remarkable bit of, uh, gamesmanship that, uh, you know, marks her defense. It was just, I'm very impressed with her. Um, I, I do, I do want to turn this back to M, who uh, created our uh, scouting board essentially, and is going to be doing more of the work on this draft uh, in the days ahead. Um, but M, do you see Emily Ensler as a first-round talent? Yeah, I do. 
I think she's the first time with a bullet, and I think so. She's you can see our draft board um, at thenext.com. Um, the next tube stop. I have her as sorry, next tube stop. Okay. Or just search for or just search the next tube draft board. I have her as my number four. Mm-hmm. I have her as my number four. Um, she's been as far as you can talk about the steals. It's not just steals. It's utterly insane ability to make blocks. She can block anyone on ball or in rotation. She can strip the ball off the key or in the post. She can poke it out from any side. She, her ability as an off-ball defender and her ability as a, as a help defender is absolutely immaculate. And she, she isn't just good or very good at steals and blocks. She has been the best defensive playmaker in the country for the past three years. And it's, it's, it's not even close. Her offense she has stuff that she can do. Mm-hmm. It's hard to see how it's hard to see how some of it translates to the next level. So like she's been a, she's been like thirty five point seven percent three point shooter mm-hmm. on about like two hundred seventy attempts the past three years. But her free throw numbers have kind of sucked since she entered the country. So it's yeah. it's hard to see exactly how that might translate or how that might not. Um, you know, she has the ability to be um, sort of a second time scorer. And but her finishing is a little is a little rough in places. It's good enough. Her playmaking, however, is excellent. For someone of her size and her length and upper role, she's an absolutely excellent playmaker. And I think that's going to be one of the things that really helps keep her on the court at the next level. If you're looking for comps, I think um, sort of like right now she's very similar. So like if you can imagine like Mia Coffee if she played on the wing, mm-hmm. she's very similar as like as like as a as a cross league comp to uh, a rookie um, in the in the NBA. Named Herb Jones, excellent. That's a good comp. Someone, yeah, yeah someone um, who because they are because they do not want to be flamed to this take, I shall shall remain nameless. Has and I found this to be a very good take. Has compared her ceiling in the NBA, in the WNBA. Is if you can imagine Candace Parker with that interior game. Hmm. Hmm. It's interesting. And and listen. And and Jackie mentioned Rebecca Allen, and you know she's not the shooter Rebecca Allen no. is, but she's ahead of where Allen is defensively, and yeah. she hasn't even gotten out of out of school yet. Yeah. So we're we're coming near the end here, and and I do want to turn back to you, Matthew, if I could, and just get your take. You know, obviously. You lose the Halls, you lose Anna Wilson if you're Stanford, um, but there's a ton of talent here. What, what do you feel like are the biggest leaps that those who remain have to make next year for Stanford to get back to this game and win this game next year? You know, I think for Stanford, the biggest key for them is going to be, you know, I think Hannah Jump is an obvious fit to jump into the lineup, and mm-hmm. she's going to have to get better defensively and she doesn't obviously have the length of one of the whole sisters. Mm-hmm. And I don't think she's really a point guard either, but because she can shoot the three so effectively, she's going to have to learn how to get some sort of game going to the basket. Cause every time she went to the basket tonight, I just don't, doesn't seem like she goes with confidence, right? She, her confidence is shooting the ball outside. Of her, so she needs to build some confidence being a mid range shooter and driving to the basket. It'll be have, interesting to yeah. see. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, so it's interesting to see who fills in at the point guard spot, because that was the question this whole year, Right. right. They didn't have a point guard. They lost Keanu Williams, and they were playing point guard by committee. Is it point forward Haley Jones is your point guard next year? Mm-hmm. Does Tara go into a place she's never been and try to get a kid out of the transfer portal, which 
is unlikely because they've really only done that once, and that was Jordan Hamilton this year from Northwestern. They do have a couple of two really good kids on their roster right now in um, Brooke Demeter, Mm -hmm. who is listed as a guard and is a really high-rated freshman right now, and and a girl from Greece whose name is escaping me. I think it's Bassania, Mm -hmm. who has come in in some moments. But the biggest thing is going to be who can step up? Can it be, can it be Jada Van Geitenbeek? Can it be Hannah Jump? Who is that other people in the backcourt who can replace, you know, what Lexi Hull did offensively, but also what those three did defensively? And, and they do have one kid coming in who is a true point guard, but other than Cameron Brink, we haven't really seen Tara and one of the Hull sisters play freshman a ton. And I think, obviously, next year the, the team is running through Haley and it's running through Cameron. Yeah. But it's yeah. can these whoever the other three people are that start and you know could we see her go to this really big starting lineup with Fran at the four mm-hmm. and playing Haley at the three, which is a lineup I personally think is incredibly difficult to guard if you have Hannah jump out there and somebody else who can shoot because then you're asking someone who's not really built like Haley Jones to guard Haley Jones or someone that's not built by like believe you're bring to guard one of them. Mm-hmm. The only downside there is your spacing. But if Haley Jones and Cameron Bink can start to build their three-point game up, then you can play four round one with Believing being your one inside instead of Ken. You're essentially I think, playing a mystic style at that point, but at the college level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Tara is so smart, and she has so many weapons of kids who don't play a lot. And, you know, she could play Ash and Preck to Believing because she has ability to knock down threes, as we mm-hmm. saw tonight. She hit one and probably shouldn't have taken four, but she still made the, a really big one in that moment. And so she has lots of options, and she's such a smart coach, so she's going to figure out what the right fit is for them. But you're losing, to me, the biggest part is not the offense of the three you're losing, but the defense. Because those three were able to switch things and were so high basketball IQ-wise that it made up for a lot of the mistakes of, of, not a lot of mistakes, but it was just set the tone, like Tar has said a million times. And tonight they put on a master class of defense. They just couldn't score. So we're... um, um... Matthew, is um, Lauren Betts coming in? Is that a thing? The post player, the really tall one, is that her name? Yes, from Colorado, correct? Yes, yes, yes. she is coming in. Unless M knows otherwise, it is putting her finger up. I, from my understanding, she is coming in. I've seen enough stuff on social media. You know, they don't do a ton, but from my understanding, she should be coming in. Very interesting. Uh, listen, Tara, Tar, I believe, is going to figure it out. And, uh, you know, uh, that, that plucky young coach, I think, is going places. I'm very excited about that for her. Uh, we're running a little short on time just because um, it is on the later side and we have to get a shuttle back home uh, to the hotel so that come tomorrow we can come back and do this all over again, which is the beauty of the Final Four. But I do want to get everyone on record here. Um, you know, the theory, obviously, that has been put forward in a lot of circles is that uh, teams continue to just self-destruct in front of UConn, that <laughs> UConn is not doing anything to create this uh, type of success. It's just continuing to just happen again and again, seemingly at random, uh, for a team that um, incredibly luckily has been to 14 straight Final Fours um, you know, in a series of happy accidents. And so I guess what I'm wondering from all of us here, and I've, uh, I'll start, we'll go real briefly, but I'll uh, start with you, Jackie. Do you, do you think that, uh, UConn is going to prevail on Sunday night, or do you think 
that South Carolina will end this madness. You want me to give a definitive answer? I'm, I'm curious what you think. So the thing is, I've followed UConn through their ups and downs, and what impresses me about them this year... I just got to stop you. There's a great story Jackie wrote at Bleacher Report about this. Seek it out. It's particularly worthwhile about the way UConn has gone through hell, as Nico Mule put it a couple of months ago, to get to this point today. But please, go on. Thank you. Yeah, um... I like to think about what this team looked like against Arizona around a year ago. Mm-hmm. And even what they looked like against South Carolina in the Bahamas. It's 73-57 loss. Yes. And what that team looked like is they weren't tough. They didn't play together. It was a lot of page watching, mm-hmm. not a lot of movement. Um, and I think they have turned that around. Uh, this is a team that plays together. Mm-hmm. This is a team that values the defensive side of the ball. This is a team that out tough or played tougher than mm-hmm. the defending champions. I don't really think they're afraid of much because they've had to go through so much. Yeah. So to me, there's a real case for UConn here. I, I think I think uh, that's. It's a it's a great point, and, and I do. I just want to make sure we get to yes. to everyone. So, Mitch, you, you as well, yeah. Mitch. Do you think this is a foregone conclusion that South Carolina is going to win? Do you think that UConn is on a magical run and this is their year, or you find it somewhere in between? Just curious, what do you see of it at this point with these two teams left? Are we sure UConn is good? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> UConn is obviously a very very good basketball team. Who would ask? And. <laughs> Um, I think that they are going to be very competitive with South Carolina. I don't think that that's going to be a blowout mm-hmm. yep. by any means. However, having said all that, I think UConn is a great team. I would not be shocked at all if they somehow won on Sunday. Um, but I've seen South Carolina in person, I think, five times this season now, mm-hmm. um, kind of just being in the Carolinas area and here tonight. Um, and every single time, I I just kind of have to – I just kind of have to, like, stop myself um, from just staring at Aaliyah Boston because I don't really understand how anyone stops her, how anyone <laughs> guards her. I, I, Nobody has. I, I don't think – I just – I don't know the solution for that. And I'm not sure that UConn has one. I know they played very well against Elisu yeah. Kinane, and I know they played very well tonight against Stanford's picks. Um I just think that Aaliyah Boston is playing at a different level right now. Um, and she's on a tear, and she's on a mission, um, and I, I expect her to have another, you know, pretty close stat line to 2020 again, mm-hmm. and I think if she does that, South Carolina is a pretty hard team to beat. Um, I, I mean, just to that point, you know, she had 18 rebounds tonight. Haley Van Lith had nine. Emily Enschler had nine. Effectively, their two best players on Louisville had to, and, and you know, played their, their hearts out uh, in order to match her there. And, you know, couldn't really match her from a production standpoint, certainly when you take efficiency into account. And when you have to work that hard at just one player, South Carolina is not a one-player team. And South Carolina has so much other talent. It it, 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 it does seem to me like what you said is accurate. UConn's going to have an issue there, and it's almost like what they're going to need to do is slow down everybody else and 
get a lot of extra production out of a Kristen Williams, out of an AZ FUD. And, and Paige needs to have a game similar to what she had against NC State, which is yes. asking a lot for anyone. Yep. Alex Simon, you, you, you have a prediction on Sunday? I'm curious. Uh, I do have a prediction, and it's very simple. Uh, Louisville got to within six for, I think, all of like 30 seconds or so mm-hmm. in this game in the second half. And uh, the entire time, even when it felt like they were playing okay, you would look up at the scoreboard and be like, Louisville must be getting close. Nope, they're still down by double digits. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and I will believe that a team is going to stay within double digits of South Carolina in the second half when I see it. And it seems like uh, – for as many problems as UConn had inside that Stanford didn't exploit, I think Don Staley is going to exploit the ever-living heck out of them. Another up-and-coming coach in Don Staley, obviously. We wish her well. And, I, you know, it's an interesting thing when you talk about a double-digit spread. Uh, and do you have any of the early lines on what this game is likely to be come Sunday? As our resident gambling insider... I always do. The proof stats following today's results has UConn versus South Carolina as a predicted margin of 5.7 points in favor of South Carolina. Vegas Vegas has South Carolina favored by four points, but you have to keep in mind that they expect people to bet on UConn, so they will always juice it a little bit towards UConn. So basically both, basically the projection here is about South Carolina by five and a half points. I can see this game being really like anywhere from like UConn by four, it's like South Carolina by like six or seven. It's gonna be ugly either way. Gonna hand, I think, whatever anyone projects for like a total number of points, they're probably almost double what the actual result is going to be. Right. It's gonna be ugly. These teams are both not good. These two teams are both pretty bad matchups for each other. Yeah. Or, or I guess good. Their defenses are bad matchups for the other team's offense. Mm-hmm. And, uh, these are two of the best game pending coaches in the country. I think it is going to be a really interesting game. I think it's going to be a very slow game mm-hmm. and really, really painful. I, I, so what I'm hearing from you is that you, you think UConn should win the national championship. So <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm going to hit mute on that now. Um, but so M. Adler has UConn winning it all. That's good to know. Um, it, I, I think this has been a wonderful time to uh, get to chat with all of you. I, I kid, but. And, and has made some very good points and always does. <laughs> and so, uh, it's just, it's just such a pleasure to cover this sport with every one of you. And so thank you for at the end of a night where we all did a lot to be able to come together and, uh, be able to do this. And so, oh, Matthew Walter, I didn't let you pick. Ah. As for shame. I, I feel like my team lost, and I'm like not have any value. Well, do you have Stanford winning this one on Sunday? Because it no, seems very I, unlikely. No, no. No, but tell me who. who I, do you I, have? Will, I do you have my me. pick, and then I, I do actually have a question uh, for you as our our big time leader. Um, <laughs> I think the thing that I think is the biggest difference is Stanford's offense is so based on we are not like we are going to go to this one person. Mm-hmm. Everybody can score. And I think that's why they didn't take advantage of some of those mismatches is because their style does not fit that. Mm-hmm. If you watch South Carolina play, just like M said, I think we've talked about it multiple times, it's move the ball around the horn because we're going to find a way to get that ball into Leah Boston. Yeah. And I think, like Alex said, Don is going to find whatever way they can to get that ball inside and pound it in against those limited-depth UConn bigs. 
and just they're gonna she's just gonna find ways to score. And early tonight I, too, I you just, saw just to that, that point, that's an important one. Dawn spoke about it when we talked about National Player of the Year. She said, you know, essentially Caitlin Clark obviously was so ball dominant in the way she played, but her offensive flow was built around getting the ball in and through Aaliyah Boston as much as possible. And it's why you were able to see Aaliyah Boston, despite being a big, affect the game as much as she did, uh, according to Don Staley earlier this year. So what you talked about uh, as the game plan, which I think it should be against UConn, clearly has been all year. So I think it's a great point. But please go on. Yeah, and so I think you're asking – you know, Aaliyah Boston's a much different type of player to guard than a Cameron Bink. Mm-hmm. She's not as athletic, but she's just bigger. She's stronger. So you're asking Olivia Nelson to completely change what kind of player she's guarding. And I just think the way that South Carolina, if they can hit some outside shots, because there's going to be some double teams like they did tonight, then it's just hard to guard that team. And I think, yeah. like Em said, this is going to be a slow 12 round. There's going to be a lot of haymakers thrown. But I think at the end of the day, the ability of Aaliyah Boston to not only hit big baskets, but also get offensive rebounds. So there was not something I felt like Stanford did a very good job tonight was hitting the offensive glass. Mm-hmm. And when they did, they didn't really convert off of it. I think if Aaliyah Boston gets some of those offensive rebounds, get some of those second chance points, and then they can get some outside shots hit, South Carolina wins this game. And I think they win it probably by about four to six points. I think it'll be a very competitive game. And then it's just going to be Aaliyah Boston wears them down till the end. And my question to you, Howard, as our resident UConn backer or lover would be, whether or not UConn wins this game today, is this Gino's best coaching job of his career? So I'm neither of the sort. I simply point out, and I think this is a not unreasonable perspective to take, that the Connecticut Huskies have won 14 straight Final Fours they've gone to. It's a remarkable accomplishment. It's something that when it's over, I don't think we'll ever see again. I simply think that the strength of women's basketball has grown so tremendously that we never will in the same way that, uh, and this is sort of a long-standing theory of mine, that you can point to anything that's happened in men's basketball and go 40 years forward, and you can see a rough analog to the women's game. And I think that this UConn program is very much – John Wooden's UCLA program. And John Wooden's UCLA program was so impressive that it pushed a lot of other programs forward. And within a few years, you have Magic and Bird, and you have, you know, a a lot that followed because it grew the game. I think that's what this Connecticut team has done. I think it's unbelievably impressive. And I think this year in particular, uh, if it's not his best coaching job, I don't know what is because this is a team – that struggled through so much. When you lose your point guard for two months, and not just that, but AZ Fudd, essentially a secondary playmaker, was out for weeks. Nika Mule was out for weeks. This was a team that functionally had to figure out how to way to not operate that way. And then they had to do something that's almost as hard, which is to get Paige back and incorporate her to a team that, by the way, by the end of the Big East tournament, the nation's best conference was firing on all cylinders and beat Villanova (laughs) by 30 points. So it is an incredibly impressive accomplishment. And for uh, them to, how do you feel about UConn and Gina? I'm just simply talking, I'm just simply bringing out facts. There's not a fandom that goes into it. It's just, you know, looking at, and that was by the way, friend of the show, Lindsay Gibbs. 
So, Lindsay Gibson, we are very privileged to have here. And, uh, you know, very tight. Lindsay, like M. Adler, do you think that UConn's going to win on Sunday? I have no thoughts. I told you I have no thoughts. I just sat down because I thought you guys were almost done. And we I've been here for 30 minutes. Wow, that was, that was a dangerous thing to do when it comes to all of us here at Lockdown Women's Best Ball in the Nets. All right, Alex Simon, you've got something to say, I think, before we – we end for the night. So, yes, please, Alex. Yes, Howard. I will say you are one of the best in terms of being an objective journalist who also watches Wequiem for the Big East in his dreams. That so. is, I mean, I, I've lived it. I've lived it. And it's something I feel very strongly about. It. Uh, when I was in eighth grade, I had the choice of any research project I could choose, of any subject, of, any, uh, of anything in the history. And because what I chose was the Big East Conference, and I feel very comfortable about that. Ah, Shaheen Holloway is obviously a great, as Matthew Walter chimed in on the chat. I'm so happy to see him at Seton Hall, and equally excited to see what Kevin Willard does at Maryland. Um, you know, to be able to take that step down uh, to a mid-major, you know, program in the Big Ten, it's going to be great to see. It's going to be a real opportunity for them. So, yeah, I'm very excited, obviously, for Willard as well. So, I, I, I think... We've reached uh, our natural endpoint, but I just want to thank uh, Matthew Walter, Alex Simon, M. Adler, uh, let's see, Jackie Powell, Mitchell Northam, the great Lindsey Gibbs. Subscribe to Power Plays, by the way, if you haven't. Very important to subscribe to Power Plays. Lindsey Gibbs is fantastic women's sports newsletter as well. Make sure you're following us at the next hoops at Locked On WBB. We've had. Four stories today, five stories today. We're going to have more tomorrow, and we're all going to get some sleep so we can go do that for you. So until next time, I am Howard Magdal, editor and founder of The Next, wishing you all a wonderful night, and we'll see you on Sunday. I got so punchy at the end. I, I, I had to start.